You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's a gorgeous afternoon, and I've been stuck inside all afternoon in Zoom meetings and going straight into the radio show. So uh, as soon as the radio show's over, I'm going out on the patio to have a cocktail. <laughs> so... So you guys are standing between me and, and a single malt. Uh, but I digress. It is a beautiful day here in, in uh, western Oregon, and I, I spent the last two hours at, you know, in the Benita Extravaganza, which was celebrating Fern Ridge entrepreneurship, which is part of the Oregon Rain Project in the city of Benita and Lane County that have all worked together to try and mentor people that want to start a business that, you know, maybe just even are thinking about starting a business to actually moving from that thinking about it stage to actually starting the business and getting going and all that and giving some of the mentoring and coaching and, and all that good stuff. And it was a great two hours of talking about that. And uh, it's fun to listen to some of these people that are excited Folks that want to start a business are some of the most optimistic people to be and fun people to be around because, you know, if you're thinking about starting a business, you really have to have some optimism, you know. And it's amazing the amount of people that want to start a business here in the middle of the big COVID recession and all that stuff uh, that actually there's a – PBS story, which actually covered part of the Fern Ridge story here. It actually had stories about the Emporium and uh, one of our local um, entrepreneurs here starting a startup. And uh, in that story, they talked about how the applications for new businesses have actually increased during COVID than decreased. That the, the licensing applications for new business names, et cetera, things like that have gone up. So as people stayed home during COVID, I think they decided to, to, to be their own boss. So it, you know, that's one great uh, aspect about the whole COVID thing is that people are actually, you know, be, you know, starting businesses and becoming their own bosses. Um, whatever you did, Robin, kind of got rid of that background noise. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, like I say, this is the maiden voyage of Windows 10, and it's already changing settings. Oh, great. Thank uh, you, Bill Gates. Yeah, thank you, Bill Gates, because uh, you can't go without it right now. I know I'm, I'm dreading um, – we run – our, our business runs on QuickBooks, and we're at QuickBooks Pro 2018. Well, we've got to upgrade because as of May 31st, we'll no longer support payroll – so I'm dreading having to update QuickBooks for our business. Uh, <laughs> speaking of entrepreneurs, my wife is definitely fits that entrepreneur category. She's got her own business that I help her with part-time. Um, and part of my duties is the chief financial officer, so QuickBooks is kind of my connection to the business. Um, and dreading upgrade. Ah! But – um, we have digressed a little bit here on the Bose Nose Show. Just want to remind folks, we are a call-in show. Uh, 646-721-9887, I believe, is the number. And uh, that's all you have to do to get in on the Bose Nose Show because uh, we we like to talk and have conversations back and forth. Um, and, again, it's 646-721-9887. And, 
remember to press one so Robin knows you want to get in on the show because we do have people that call in just to listen. So I have a bunch of things I want to talk about today. Um, you know, COVID comes up now and then in the conversation, I think, just like uh, people starting businesses. Uh, I actually got to experience the mass vaccination clinic this weekend with my wife. Uh, she finally became eligible as a 45 to 64 year old. Won't tell you where she is in that span because it's not nice to say that. Um, but she has a, a one of one of the you know issues that allows her to be eligible as as a pre-existing uh, medical condition uh, that made her eligible. So we went down on Saturday for her to get her vaccination. Took about an hour from the time we turned into the fairgrounds to the time we actually turned out of the fairgrounds par parking lot. And uh, it, it just is an amazing piece of logistics that our county public health and our search and rescue folks in cooperation with multiple volunteers. Uh, I saw folks from the Eugene Rotary Club there, and I know that their volunteers are actually doing some of the injections uh, that have the certifications to do those. Um, amazing piece of logistics to get that many people through. And we're, we are, we are doing a lot of vaccinations. You know, I noticed that just from one, from yesterday to the day, we were, we vaccinated over a thousand people on a weekday, not those weekend mask vax clinics. Um, and uh, we're starting to make some progress. We've actually got about 20% of our adult population is now fully vaccinated. Um, but that still leaves four out of five people completely unprotected. And even in that 20%, if you got your second dose, you know, this weekend, you haven't been the full 14 days for it to build a full immunity. So um, we still need to be careful out there. Uh, most of us are still unprotected. And, you know, I'll, I'll argue this at any time with anybody COVID is more deadly than the flu. It's more serious than the flu. It's not just the flu. It is a serious disease. It is contagious. We need to take precautions. People are dying from this disease uh, and, and at a much higher rate than they die from influenza. And it's something we need to take precautions against. Uh, so I'm actually hoping to get my vac first vaccine next week as uh, first line workers start becoming eligible, believe it or not, in the definition, elected officials come into that because we do interact with the public quite a bit. Uh, so uh, we become eligible next week. Uh, and I'm at hoping sometime to maybe get in and get a, a, my first vaccine. But as we march ahead with vaccinations and, and start thinking about reopening, that brings back all sorts of other stuff. And a phrase I've been starting to hear over and over and over again as, as some of this comes back, and, and part of it is in, in not only um, COVID recovery, but also in the uh, wildfire recovery efforts. But it's actually been a phrase that started uh, a few years back after a few natural disasters. Um, and at first, it had the meaning that it was that you would think build back better was a catchphrase that started, you know, five or 10 years ago after a couple of hurricanes. And the idea was don't build back something that that, you know, was that got destroyed so easily, build back something that's a little stronger and, and try and incentivize people to do that. Uh, and it was a. It, particularly with infrastructure, you know, the cities, you know, don't build something back that got wiped out easily, build back a stronger bridge or a stronger, you know, a bigger culvert, you know, whatever it is, you know, build back better. Um, and that was the original meeting. I was fine with that. But now that phrase is being used and it's being used kind of like, um, you know, we're from the government, we're here to help you. It's one of those phrases that you ought to be a little bit afraid of when you hear nowadays, because it's actually hiding an agenda. 
And when you hear people say it now, it's not about trying to help you build back better because they were making the reference in economic recovery and all that stuff. What they really mean is we want you to do what we what we want you to do, not what you want to do. And, and I, I, I've heard it used from my one of my fellow commissioners all the way up to the president of the United States. And what it really comes down to is trying to steer you know, relief programs towards social agendas. And, and you're seeing it in, in what they're talking about in, you know, you know, the governor's trying to steer a lot of our COVID relief to social justice type uh, issues and not just towards economic recovery or addressing, you know, COVID. It's, it's now all about um, trying to, you know, right past inequities and, and, and other things. And when you talk about the infrastructure bill that they're starting to, to push for in Congress nationally, Build Back Better is really all about the Green New Deal. It's the new phrase for the Green New Deal. So what they really want is everything to be steered towards addressing climate in some manner, shape, or form in, in what they feel is best. And in, in doing so, there's also social justice stuff built into that and wealth redistribution, and that's their versions of Build Back Better. It's not about let's, you know, restore the economy, let's, you know, help people you know, renew and rebuild their infrastructure, aging infrastructure in rural and, and urban areas. No, it's we want you to do projects that fit our political agenda and reward our constituency that voted us into office. So every time you hear that phrase, build back better, you know, Think of, we're from the government, we want to help you. Be very afraid. I mean, locally, my fellow commissioner, after I explained very clearly how our new floodplain ordinance was going to cause problems for folks rebuilding after the holiday farm fire, justified voting for those new regulations saying, we want people to build back better. Be afraid. What it was really about was we want folks to build away from the floodplain. We want people to not even build in the floodplain. And I don't really care that we're causing problems for the holiday farm fire people because I have an agenda. And I'm voting for this anyway. Build back better. I love these phrases they come up with in government that, that you know, kind of sound wonderful. And, and, you know, you know, how could you be against building back better? <laughs> they come up with them all the time or they name bills that, that don't, don't, you know, do the exact opposite of what they're doing to sound like they're doing the other thing. You know, so just beware, beware of buzz phrases. And build back better is now the new buzz phrase. So as you hear that, just think about it. And, you know, and speaking of climate, had a little bit of a dust up toward the end of yesterday's board meeting over approving a set of 10 projects that we were going to submit to Congressman DeFazio for potential what they are now going to re, you know, you remember earmarks that went away about 12 years ago? You know, the port spending that Congress was getting worse and worse about, you know, the bridge to nowhere, all the highways and buildings that were built in West Virginia because Senator Byrd was so good at pork. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff went away. Well, they're talking about trying to bring it back, but they don't call it earmarks. They call it congressionally directed spending. And the, and the House is, you know, now trying to bring that back. So, uh Congressman DeFazio's office asked us to put forward a list, 
And in that list, you know, down about number four was something called a climate mitigation project for a landfill. But in the description of the project, it wasn't called that. It was called a uh, renewable natural gas, uh, you know, uh, analysis project that was going to be carried out with LTD and, and our waste management folks. And I was fine with that project if they label it that way. But if they label it climate mitigation, I wasn't so fine with it because calling something mitigation means, one, you understand the exact causes of what causes the, the, the issue you're mitigating, and two, that you can actually control them. And I don't believe we know the exact causes of climate change, and I'll argue that with anybody. And I don't believe we have the ability to control it. So, you know, I didn't like the name of that, but I also, my, my, my probably biggest issue was I don't like the idea of bringing earmarks and pork barrel spending back. You know, I, you know I, yes, we get some projects done sometimes and funded that way, but you know what? We ought to be doing budgeting the way it should be done by department, you know, with bills like passing, you know, federal highway acts and, and, and putting things in priorities across the nation, not having single congressmen having the ability to steer money to this pet project or that pet project. And eventually, as they get more powerful in chairmanships and can, can you know, control uh, other people's pet projects, they get their pet, they get more pet projects for, through, and you end up with, you know, Senator Byrd and his ability to steer, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars worth of federal spending into West Virginia like he did. I don't know if you've ever been to West Virginia, but just about everything's named Senator Robert Byrd this or Senator Robert Byrd that. Um, highway, uh, this FBI building that got built outside of Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Um, you know, all those <laughs> have his name on it. Um, that's not a good place to be going back to. So I was the only person that voted against that, but kind of got in a little bit of a dust up with my fellow commissioners over that. Um, not because I don't, that I don't think the climate's changing. I I agree with that. You know, we were in an ice age a few, you know, thousand years ago back, you know, 10 to 1,000 years or so ago. Uh, and we've been coming out of that ice age ever since, except for that small hiccup back about 1,600 when we went through the little ice age. Um, so, you know, the climate's been getting warmer for quite a long time. Uh, the question is exactly what's causing it. Has it accelerated because we, you know, our ability to measure global temperature has only been around for a few short years. Um, you know, that there's all sorts of issues around that uh, and trying to call, you know, it, it, and, you know, one of my fellow commissioners tried to say that, you know, there's less certainty about climate change than there is about gravity. And I kind of pointed out that, um, you know, gravity you know, no one disagrees that gravity exists and is measurable, and even there's this gravitational constant, you know, 32 feet per second per second uh, gravitational acceleration constant. It's called a constant because constant, and the law of gravity is not disputed. The, what causes gravity to exist is highly controversial in science because the causes are theoretical. Just like the cause of climate change are theoretical and still under debate, it's not a law. There is no law of climate. There is a law of gravity. There is no climate constant that everybody agrees to. There is a gravitational constant that everybody agrees to because the physics are agreed upon and not argued. Now, why gravity exists? There's all sorts of theories about that and, and a lot of debate. But for some reason, debating the theories behind the causes of climate, you're not supposed to do. So interesting topic to talk about. But we'll, we'll move on from that and build back better. I just wanted to make people aware of that phrase, though, that it's, it's the, the latest buzzword. You're going to hear it a lot over the next six months, probably, as they work on this infrastructure bill, as they start rolling out how they're going to spend that humongous 
$1.9 trillion America, you know, Rescue Act or Recovery Act. I can't ever remember the, the correct phrase for it. Uh, basically, a Bury America and Debt Act. Um, again, they always seem to name things different from what they really do. Uh, and uh, you're going to hear, you know, we need to use this to build back better. We want, we're going to build back better here. Well, you better, you know, hold on to your wallet and your liberty because what they're saying is we're going to deny you the choice in what you're going to do because we want you to do it our way. So um, just a little pre-warning of a buzz phrase that you're going to start hearing a lot. But speaking of building, uh, the Board of Commissioners had a work session this morning where we actually talked about waiving permit fees for the folks that are um, rebuilding after the Holiday Farm Fire. And I fully support that effort. I only wish that, um, you know, our board understood some of that when they were passing the new floodplain ordinance, that it was going to cost people money uh, and not just in permit fees, but in the fact that now that there's this new compensatory storage rule they threw in there, it was going to cause people money in engineering costs and everything else. Um, but now we're going to have, you know, we're, we're going to help people out at least on the permit fee side. In addition to that, we also uh, directed staff to move ahead with an effort to hire additional staff to, to move those permits faster through the system. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're coming back next week, next Wednesday with another work session and actual board orders we should be able to vote on um, Wednesday uh, on the 7th and get that going so people have some surety that um, around what their costs are going to be for reconstruction and hopefully get them moving a little bit faster through the permit process. I also uh, ask staff to start looking into where we make decisions as Lane County on a policy basis that would actually create additional process and cost for people rebuilding. And one of those has been come to light recently is the Oregon Department Geology and Mining Industries, or better known as Dogami, um, is uh, came out with a new set of risk maps for earthquakes relative to slope failures, landslides, and liquefaction, you know, where soils turn liquid due to the shaking down near, usually close to rivers, uh, you know, soils that are saturated and sandy can, can become almost liquid during the shaking of an earthquake. Well, um, we've chosen as, as staff policy choice of if you're in certain zones, you have to get now a geotechnical soils report showing that you, you know, there's no that you your your construction is going to survive that hazard, or or there really is no hazard that exists. Well, those soils reports are two to five thousand dollars each, and wouldn't you know it? Now that they're suddenly being required. They're really hard to get somebody to go out and do because they take time and that the the few companies that are qualified to do them are getting pretty well booked up. So I kind of asked the question, you know, are we drawing the line in the right place and could staff come back and report on that and maybe board give direction to ease up on where we draw that line? Because I understand we're making people do a soils report if they're in the moderate risk category for liquefaction, you know, versus the high risk. You know, you know, where do we draw that line and, you know, what, what's the liability for us as the county and what's the risk towards the homeowners? Um, and maybe that should be a board policy decision and not a staff level decision um, of when we require those, that soil testing and adding another two to $5,000 on the cost of rebuilding a home after a disaster like the Holiday Farm Fire. So that'll be an interesting discussion moving forward. Uh, I don't think that's coming back to us next week like the permit fee waivers, but that is going to be a discussion that I will continue to push for. Um, so beyond permit fees and all that stuff, 
I want to move into some other things, but, you know, I can't not talk about this one thing that came out on Facebook today, um, and that's around Dairy Marts. But before I move to that, I just, again, want to remind folks, we are a call-in show. If you have a topic you want to talk about or if you want to talk about some of the stuff I threw out there recently, like Build Back Better, uh, climate mitigation or waiving permit fees and, and trying to expedite permits for for folks that lost their house during the fires, um, give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. So to test a new system, see if it works. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> Somebody call in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we are, um, you know, there was a post by Dairy Mart uh, announcing that they're closing their store on West 18th in Eugene. And their reason for closing that store was seen somewhat shocking to me, um, but not shocking in some ways. And, I, and it's kind of surprising we haven't seen this um, happen more often, because I am definitely um, thinking that it's it's one of those uh, things that you just, uh, you wonder why you don't see this more often. But they announced they're closing the store, and they announced it's being closed because they just can't make it run profitably. And they noted several things. First, that minimum wage has increased over $4.75 an hour. And they said they could probably deal with that, except the state put on the back of that the corporate activities tax. Now, mind you, something, you know, a single store in, in Dairy Mart probably has over a million dollars a year in sales, let alone their chain of stores. So that 1% tax on gross receipts is extremely punishing to them. And a store like Dairy Mart probably operates on a 2% profit margin. So you're taking half the profits with the corporate activity tax on top of the $4.75 an hour minimum wage increase. But it's not just that. Then the city of Eugene threw the the new um, payroll tax in there. Another 0.22% on payroll that the corporation's paying, along with the 0.44% their employees are paying. So they're choosing to shut that store down, and I wouldn't be surprised if other dairy marts in Eugene follow suit. Um, You know, I really... You know, I know some of the folks that are in the Gibson family that, that run Lock Mead Dairy and the Dairy Mart um, uh, family of, of, of business out there. And I, I just feel sorry for them because these folks care about their employees. They're a local business. We're going to end up with 7-Elevens instead of a locally owned business where they're, you know, the the profits are reinvested locally. Um, they have a commitment to their employees. I know that the dairy marts I go into here locally, I see the same people year after year behind the counter. So it's not like they're underpaid and undervalued and mistreated or something like that, or there would be terrible turnover. I was the assistant manager of a 7-Eleven one summer during college, and I can tell you, Convenience stores have a huge turnover in employees normally. So the fact that I see the same people over and over again in Veneta and in Cheshire and out in Junction City when I stop into those dairy marts or even some of the ones I stop in in Santa Clara, that's a testament to the fact that dairy marts treating their employees pretty well if they're hanging around for years and years. Um, so I, I it's not that is the problem and not that they don't want to, you know, pay their employees well. They play competitively. Um, it's just gotten to the point where it's hard for businesses to make money in the state of Oregon. You know, you can't just keep 
piling on and piling on and expecting them to be successful. You know, and it's not just taxes and minimum wage, it's all the other things, all the other regulations they're starting to throw on businesses. You know, these, these rules that OSHA is trying to make permanent around COVID that require training and then having to keep records of that training so that you don't get slapped with a fine from them, uh, you know, of your employees. It just, it, you know, over and over and over again, you see them add this stuff on. And you know what? 7-Eleven, that's a national chain, as a corporate staff, probably can deal with some of those regulations. But Dairy Mart, maybe not so much. You're favoring big national corporations the more burden you throw on business, regulatory and tax and everything else. So all these people that love to talk about how bad huge corporations are and Wall Street and everything else, why do you keep passing rules and regulations and taxes that make it so hard for the small local businesses to exist? And speaking of taxing, let's move on to our legislature, because, you know, part of what you're seeing is, you know, Dairy Mart's reacting to what the legislature did with minimum wage, to what they did with the corporate activity tax, and to what the city council did with the payroll tax. Can I add one thing real quick? Sure. Um, one of the first surprises I got when I um, bought my business and I forget what month it was, but congratulations, you have a personal property tax, and you got to pay a tax on the clock, the toilet paper, the front counter. Yep, and you have to file that every year by March 15th, and it's a bunch of paperwork, and, you know, there's there's a, a, a exemption if you have, if your property is less than something, but you still got to file that thing. Yeah, I, I was very surprised. You know, I said toilet paper, and somebody may think I'm kidding. I actually was not kidding about that. No, no, you really toilet paper, paper towels. You know, you if you've got cleaning supplies stored that you haven't opened yet, that all counts as personal property, business property. You know, so you you think about a retail store that's got inventory, that counts in personal property. You know, yeah. if, you've got, if you've got stuff in a warehouse waiting to go out to your retail stores, that's personal property. So, you know, people don't realize businesses pay tax in multiple ways. And, and thinking that they're not paying their fair share somehow or another, getting by, or there's some fat cat, you know, it just... I, I don't get the demonization of people that are employing others and providing a service to our community and a service that people are willing to, you know, trade the, the, the fruits of their labor in the form of cash to buy. Yeah. No one's forcing somebody to walk into a dairy mart and buy a jug of milk. You know, that's a voluntary action by their customer. And in exchange for that, you know, they, you know, Dairy Mart provides that that milk to that customer, and in a location that's convenient. Sometimes in a location that has a drive-up window, which the West 18th location had, and and it was really convenient. I noted one person that posted on the 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 site, you know, how convenient that was having toddlers to not have to get out of the car. <laughs> to pick up something quick that they forgot or just needed and was, wasn't worth going to a full grocery shop. You know, that's, that's convenience store. That's sort of the definition, <laughs> but you know, people were willing to voluntarily exchange the fruits of their labor for that, that convenience. But now the state has made it so difficult for the dairy mart to actually make a profit that that convenience will no longer be available. To that neighborhood in Eugene. So, um, 
Yeah, it, it's a sad day in some ways when when you know people don't understand that. And one of the things is that organs. It's not like organ isn't taxing a lot. Um, they really, you know, have one of the highest per capita taxation and revenue of any state in the nation. I think we're like number four or five in per capita spending and revenues that come through our state government. So it's not like our state government's starving. We're fat compared to other states. But they need more. In fact, they need so much more that Representative Marty, no bacon for Grandpa Wildy. And if you don't get that reference, that's because Marty Wildy proposed a bill that would have made uh, prepared meats illegal to serve in nursing homes and prisons in this state. And by prepared meats, bacon, ham, sausage, those sort of things, and prepared, cured, however you want to put it, um, that bill would have made taking away grandpa's bacon at the nursing home. So that's why I, I label him Marty, no bacon for grandpa, Wildy. Um, that was his bill. He also was the same representative that proposed a bill that would let the governor take private property and not compensate people for that taking during a, quote, declared emergency. Um, so, you know, and I think that was all about trying to prevent uh, landlords from suing the state eventually for the eviction uh, uh, moratorium that was put in place in this state. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but that same Representative Wildy decided to go on a rant um, and go after the Oregon District Attorneys Association because he's mad at them because they're objecting to some of the what he considers um, criminal justice reforms. But I would consider uh, let's let dangerous felons out early reforms. Uh, you know, and particularly, you know, the DAs have, have taken a stance that they don't really like the idea of messing with Measure 11 mandatory sentencing for violent felonies, person felonies. I mean, this isn't property crime. This isn't drug crime. These are crimes against people and not just simple ones, but the most, you know, horrible ones from murder, rape, you know, you name it. But they want to try and change that sentencing structure, which the voters voted on twice and and approved by by majorities. And he's mad at the DA Association for objecting to that. So he's supporting a bill that was put forward that would require the DAs to pay a fee to file felony charges in state court. Now, felony state charges in a state court that the counties would have to pay. Now, the fee is ostensibly to support the, you know, Oregon Justice Department's IT program. And believe me, they need some IT help in this state. But, of course, I did just mention earlier that we are one of the top states in spending and I don't know why they can't figure out a way to pay for that IT somewhere else, but they want to tax the district attorneys to file charges on behalf of the state. Now, mind you, prosecution in this state has, was once a responsibility of the state because the first words a prosecutor says in circuit court that a DA, because only DAs and, and circuit courts can try felonies, this is not municipal court, the first words that prosecutor says is the state charges, not the county, the city, not the U.S. government, but the state charges whoever it is with this particular felony. But Marty Wildey thinks that the county should pay a tax to the state for the privilege of filing a charge on behalf of the state to protect the citizens of the state against somebody that committed a felony crime. 
because he's mad at the DAs for not just rolling over and agreeing to lowering the sentences for rapists, murderers, and other violent felons. Something that the voters in this state approved twice. In fact, they put it into our Constitution. But, you know, if you're willing to take bacon away from grandpa, private property away from citizens without compensation, I guess you're willing to tax counties to file charges on behalf of the state. Even though counties are already paying subsidies on DA's, elected DA's salaries and pay for all the rest of the operation of the district attorney's office. The state pays a small portion of the DA's salary and everything else in the DA's offices, all the assistant district attorneys, the secretaries, the paper they use, Lane County pays for that. But now we're also going to pay a fee just to file charges. So next time you run into Representative Wieldy, who's an attorney, by the way, and a military veteran, I I don't get some of his thought processes based on that background. You know, ask him why it makes sense to tax a county to file a state charge. And, you know, and, you know, the legislature's not done there. Now they're going after, you know, you thought it was bad that, you know, Gary Mart's having to close the store because of taxation and, and, and rules and everything else that's making it difficult for them to exist in, in, and make a profit. Now they're going to go after your mortgage interest deductions. There is an effort to eliminate the mortgage interest deduction on state your state tax filings. And if you know your your state income tax, that nice nine percent state income tax, one of the you know the highest in the nation, um, is you know bad enough as it is, now they're gonna make you pay tax on your mortgage interest. And there are a couple different bills about this. One of them was gonna go the whole way and eliminate all mortgage interest deduction. But the one that they really are trying to get through, you know, it's kind of like they throw one in there to scare the hell out of everybody. And the second one they have in there is about, quote, second homes. Now, mind you, a lot of the homes up the McKenzie that burned down would be considered second homes. And if the folks rebuilding those can't deduct the mortgage on the loan it takes for them to rebuild, or the mortgage they actually are paying on for a a pile of ashes, um, that's going to cause some problems. And and ultimately, it's going to really cause problems for some of the local service districts out in that area. You know, when you look at um, the Rainbow Fire District, their tax base literally burnt to the ground. And they are going to be in a world of hurt in the next couple of years as people have their tax bills reduced to just the base value of the land versus the improvements on it. They're going to have difficulty surviving as a, as a fire district because their revenues are going to go, you know, right through the floor. Now, mind you, those folks that have second homes up there, if they rebuild those homes because they know they can get a a mortgage interest deduction from their state taxes, um, that adds back that value. And the faster we can get those folks to rebuild, it's one of the reasons why I support waiving the permit fees and trying to hire the staff to get them through the permit process quickly, the quicker that tax base gets rebuilt for those local districts like the Rainbow Fire District. You know, some of our geniuses up there at the state just don't think the state can survive on the huge amount of revenue they already get. The corporate activities tax wasn't enough for them. The statewide transit tax wasn't enough for them. 
know, the, the raise in the gas taxes they've done, you know, everything they've done in the past to increase our tax bills hasn't been enough. Now they want to take away your mortgage interest deduction. And if you, secondary to that, you know, second homes, what people don't understand is RVs can qualify as a second home. Under the federal IRS rules, if it has a toilet, a kitchen, and sleeping quarters, it's a home. So quite often, people deduct the interest on their RV loans from their federal and state tax taxes, income taxes. Now, how much of Oregon's economy is wrapped up in the RV business? And just think about Lane County alone, Coburg and Junction City. How many RV dealerships and manufacturers do we have? And we're going to start taking away the ability for people to, you know, get a tax break for buying one of those, those you know, rather expensive uh, homes on wheels. The state just needs more money. Not sure where they're going, but that's just, you know, where they're where they are. So you know, it just amazes me that we we when is enough enough? But we're gonna build back better. Oh my. Well, I'm gonna pause for a minute and just remind folks we are a call in show. Uh, we do have you know, about 10 minutes or so left in the program here, and you can reach us at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets us know you want to actually get in and have a conversation. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about, either something I've talked about on the show today, something previously, something else entirely you want to talk about. Um, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, our, our, you know, local entrepreneurial environment, try and say that 10 times fast, or we can talk about, you know, climate stuff. We can talk about taxes, talk about build back better or whatever. We can talk about my poodles if you want to, or the fact that I'm going to escape out to the exterior shortly after the show and enjoy an adult beverage. Um, and hopefully maybe you'll have the ability to do that also. But, uh, you know, that's really um, what this show is all about, trying to have a conversation. And it's, and one of the things I do this show for is it get, it puts me available to the public and not where you get three minutes to talk at me, like we do in you know, our public comment of a board meeting. This is an opportunity to have a conversation. Every Wednesday at 4 o'clock, I come on for an hour. And, and one of the great things about Internet radio is if I'm in the middle of a conversation at 5, we don't have to end the show. Robin actually books the show out for an hour and a half just in case we have situations like that. And we've done that before where we kept somebody over for a good 10 or 15 minutes um, to finish a conversation. You have an opportunity, you know, as a Lane County resident or a resident of Oregon to talk to an elected official who's, you know, a little bit more tuned in. You know, one of the things I, I, I was explaining this to somebody the other day. As I was, I, I got a chance to speak to the McKenzie Business Association, uh, which is the kind of the Chamber of Commerce for upriver where the Holiday Farm Fire was. And as I was talking to them, you know, they were asking about, you know, how to get in contact with me and, you know, would I be okay if people contacted me to try and find out how to do things, you know, like, you know, con, you know, how to get, a, you know, who, which legislature they should be talking about, which issue. Um, and I, I explained to them. One of my jobs as an elected official is like a concierge. I, because I'm immersed in this on a daily basis, I know more about how county government, city government, mm -hmm. and state government, and federal government work than 
almost anybody that's out there in the general public. So this is an opportunity for folks, even if you're not a Lane County resident, to call in and talk to somebody that has that, that concierge knowledge of government. And if you're looking for how to navigate the system or want some suggestions on where, where to you know, contact the system uh, and, and apply pressure, or if you have a question, I, even if I can't answer it, I may be able to look it up and answer it later in the show or get back to you by email. And I spend a lot of my day just playing that role as a concierge, connecting people with the people that can, can give them the answer they, they need, get the information to them, or get the service done, you know, where, you know, I've helped people sign up for getting vaccines to um, finding out about getting tested for COVID. I've, you know, advocated on behalf of businesses around some of the restrictions that shouldn't have been put in place. Uh, you know, little things like that, whether it's a, a permit question on, on building stuff or it's a question on, you know, how do I get help for my business? You know, there's all sorts of things I, you know, I can kind of put people together with. And, you know, even if it's something like, who should I talk to about my social security benefits? I'm having trouble navigating the system. There's actually some people that are really good at that. I can put you in contact with. I don't know a whole lot about that system, but I can guarantee you that Congress, that Congressman Peter DeFazio's staff are one of the, some of the best people in navigating the social security system, but most people may not know that. I do because I've been in the, involved in this long enough that I, I have that connection and knowledge. So the Bo's Nose Show is your opportunity once a week to connect with somebody, ask the tough questions, also to, you know, make, you know, you, you, I have an audience, you know, we're, we're out there on Facebook Live, we get, you know, um, rebooked and, and rebroadcast on multiple platforms, you know, we, we're, we're on Apple, we're we, uh, on YouTube, and and all sorts of places. And I, I see Robin coming on because she's probably going to remind me of the full list. You know, you can come on and, and you have an audit. You have it. You know, I'm giving you a microphone to speak to a larger audience too. So there's that that benefit of calling into the Bose Nose Show. So so give us the list, Robin. How many different platforms are we on? Oh my God, we are rebroadcast at least on. Price seven, and even and even some I'm not aware of. Yeah, but I can honestly say that uh, to kind of emphasize what Jay is saying, don't don't let the uh, business jacket fool you. He's really a nice guy and very approachable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, I, like I said, I came straight from doing two hours with the folks in Firm Ridge and and talking about micro business startups. And, and, you know, who knows if one of these is not the next, you know, big you know, company. You know, one of the things that was interesting is one of the presenters in one of the breakout sessions was the chief financial officer for East West Tea Company, which is the folks that own Yogi Teas. And uh, he lives here in Vanita. And, of course, you know, you, they're – their big building is practically in Benita at, 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 on the west end of Eugene. Um, Yogi Tees hasn't been around a long time. It's, it's a fairly young company that started right here locally um, and has become a huge company. Uh, he put up some statistics. It was billions of tea bags they produced last year. They have a factory in Italy and one here in Eugene. They produce their products in three different languages on the labels, French, English, and Japanese, because their market's that global. They source products from India and Africa and as far as the, some of the herbs and spices, because they're really into that, that uh, uh, wellness teas is their, is their niche. Amazing company. Maybe one of those little companies that was doing the, uh, the rapid-fire pitches Today in our 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 uh, Vanita Extravaganza event, maybe in the next Yogi Tees, where they've got a building the size you know of that building there on the on the west edge of Eugene, and and you know 
hundreds of employees and you know millions of uh, dollars of annual revenues and you know that that's that's the exciting part you know is talking with those people that you know that's that's got to be in the back of their mind one day they may be the big business and maybe they they never intend to be but they'll be their own boss and maybe hire a few more people provide a product that people are willing to voluntarily part with the fruits of their labor to purchase that's what i love about the capitalist system well, there also, if you go back to the granola side of it, how it started is an amazing success story as well. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just uh, um, a great company. And, and you know what, what? His breakout session was particularly about sustainability in business and what they're doing um, on, on the kind of um, moral responsibility side of running a business. And one of the things I, I, I he was mostly talking about some of the things they're doing in Africa and India to kind of support, um, you know, these, um, you know, basically third world economies to, to be more environmentally sensitive and, and develop their products in a, in a environmentally good way uh, and, and grow stuff in, in environmentally sensitive ways. And I, I, I knew from my experience that they have a connection with Pearl Buck Center. And I, in the chat, I said, you know, I really appreciate your work with the Pearl Buck Center. How's that going during COVID? And he talked about that. They, they actually utilize, um, and, and if folks aren't familiar with Pearl Buck Center, it's a, a um, nonprofit business that, that helps connect, you know, folks with various disabilities um, and, and with jobs and as well as they also have a uh, preschool for parents that have disabilities, the children of parents that have disabilities, lots of services, but the folks at East West Tea Company utilize their labor to do some custom packaging for them, you know, and it's just, you know, just one piece of what a great story that is of a local company, not only just, you know, employing people and generating economic activity, but also giving back to the community and how they do it. So it was really a good event, um, the Vanita extravaganza, and great to hear from him. But it's just also thinking about those folks that may one day be the next OVT. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my- hey. Hey. <laughs> You're going to do that, then... It's been one of those days. I got something for you to, to, well, let's put it this way, folks. I tease him a lot. Yeah. So let's see what we can. All right. So why is that so special? <laughs> Junior high school band you're hearing was actually the the Bose nose is playing trombone in that. <laughs> I got I got convinced on I, I answered a question online. Somebody posted, you know, what instrument did you play in high school or whatever, and I, I you know noted that I played trombone through high school and college and and and, and bass trombone. And the guy wrote me back said, would you be willing to play and and we're going to do this thing where we combine everybody together. Um, where you record yourself playing your one part, and, and he put it all together. He did a great job that you can't hear how bad I play, because I hadn't picked up my horn in, in 15 years, um, and my my is terrible. So uh, I'm glad I'm not isolated, but uh, yeah, that was fun to do, and I really appreciate Rob uh, that, uh, Hendrickson that, that put that together, and uh, it was fun. And it was a celebration of one year of COVID, and that is um, spring from the uh, Four Seasons by Vivaldi. And done quite well, too, I must add. Yep. Well, thank you for listening today. I'm not going to stick around long today because I am bolted to the outside while we still got some good weather because in Finn, we got expansion weather because in five minutes it's going to be back to winter. <laughs> 
I hope everybody enjoyed today's show, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. <laughs>